Well, today there is no shortage of information in the world. There are about uh, five billion active internet users in the world. Every minute, uh, 41.5 million WhatsApp messages are sent. 1.3 million video and voice calls are made every minute. Um, every second, 3 million emails are sent, 67% of which are spam, apparently. And there are nearly 2 billion websites online. And Google processes 3.5 billion searches every day. So there's no shortage of information out there in our world. But information doesn't lead necessarily to wisdom, does it? You can have all the information in the world, but still not be wise. Today I want to ask this question, what does it mean for us to live wise lives? What does that actually mean? One author has said that the world says, live and learn. You know that mantra, live and learn. But God says, learn and live. It's the other way around. We need to learn from him so that we might live lives the way he wants us to. So today I want to unpack three questions together. The first one is, what is wisdom? So let's think about that for a couple of minutes together. What is wisdom? The Proverbs of Solomon, who's the person who wrote this book, we hear in chapter 1, verse 1, he wrote most of the Proverbs. There's other authors as well, but he's the main one. We're told that the Proverbs are for giving wisdom. That's what we see in chapter 1, verse 1. Have a read of that verse with me. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction. This wisdom in the book of Proverbs is about right living. It's not just about having random facts in your head. It's about the way you live your life. It's a practical wisdom. And it's a kind of common sense. It's a understanding how the world works, how God has shaped the world, the kind of grain of reality, and being able to live into that reality well. And Proverbs are almost like a virtual reality where you read them before you face the situation. You read them and you kind of take them on board and then you're equipped to face life and live well when you're out in the real world. And it helps you to live with winsomeness and with clarity and with, with uh, success as we seek the righteous life that God wants us to live. But the wisdom here is also accompanied by right thinking. You can see that there's understanding and insight and all those other words used in chapter one, discretion. So it's good living accompanied by good thinking. That's what this wisdom is about. And it's not just common sense. It's not just the kind of common sense that everyone in the world has access to. It's a spiritual sense as well. Often as Christians, I think we want to divorce the different parts of our life from each other. So we've got our business life over here. We've got our family life. We've got our friends. We've got our church life. And everything's kind of in its own segment and they're quite separate. When you read Proverbs, when you read God's word, he wants to break down the walls between the different areas of life and not have a spiritual life and a secular life or a sacred life and you know, uh, some, some kind of common life over here. The Bible brings wisdom 
so that we bring all of our lives together and live a kind of joined up life when we approach the world. Notice with me chapter 1 verse 7. This is kind of a key to the whole book of Proverbs. Chapter 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Notice the wise person begins to live wisely through a reverence, a fear and awe of God and who he is. But the fool can't stand listening to any advice. They're the two alternatives. Now I suspect that many of us think of the fear of the Lord as being something unappealing. Maybe we think of that something for the Old Testament and we've left that behind. But actually it's an attitude that is there throughout all of God's word, through the whole scriptures. In Acts chapter 9, the church is described as living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it's then that they increase in numbers. Or in Ephesians 5.21, we read this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the word fear. So we, we are to have a fear for God, a fear for Christ. We could illustrate it like this. Imagine a young boy, maybe a teenager, living with his parents in the family home. And imagine that he has a good relationship with his dad. He can talk to his dad whenever he wants, ask his dad whatever question he wants. He has an affection for his dad. It's a mutual affection. He trusts his dad. He knows his dad's providing for him. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he loves his dad. But he also has a healthy fear for his dad. Not in the sense that he's unable to predict what's going to come next, but in the sense that he can't just treat his dad however he wants. He can't just say whatever he wants to his dad. He can't just log on to his dad's computer and do whatever he wants. He can't just go through his dad's stuff and use his dad's money however he wants. There's a rightful reverence that he has for his dad. It's the same for us with God. Yeah, we're adopted as God's children, and that is the great blessing of being a Christian. We thought about that last week at the 9 a.m. service and the 10.30 service here. We know God intimately through Christ. We can approach him. There's nothing to worry about. We don't have to worry that God is going to judge us because we have the gospel. And yet there's a fear that we need to have for God, that he is God, that we are not, that we are mortal, that he is immortal. We can't just say whatever we want to God. C.S. Lewis once wrote this, in God you come up against something which in every respect, sorry, you come up against something which in every respect is immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that is above you. The beginning of wisdom, says Proverbs, is the fear of the Lord. And as one author has said in his commentary on 
Proverbs, he says, the fear of the Lord is both a doorway and a pathway. It's how you enter wisdom and it's also how you continue in the path of wisdom. One of the members um, of the Bridge Church was telling me about before he came to know Christ a few years ago, he was reading a ton of self-help books, just had dozens and dozens and dozens of books on his shelf that were those kind of books that help you become a better you, you know, help you level up in life and reach the next uh, whatever it is. And he read these books committedly, if that's a word. He, he, was, he was fully on board with them. He took it on board. He, he had it in him and he was living it out. And then he met Jesus and he came to the fear of the Lord. And you know what he did with the books? He, he didn't want anyone else to read them <laughs> because he realised they were missing the key to wisdom, which is to know the Lord and to fear the Lord. And so he put them all in garbage bags and just threw them in the bin. Remember, the world says live and learn, but God says learn and live. Maybe this year you need wisdom in your workplace to navigate some relationships there in a different way. Maybe you need wisdom in your family. Maybe you're doing all the right things, but you're doing them in the wrong way. Sometimes we're in Sydney, a bit like a frog in the boiling water. And we just don't realise how much our culture around us is shaping us. We haven't realised how much we've taken on our cultural viewpoint in this city. For example, what does our culture say about money? It says, acquire it, hold on to it, spend it for your happiness, get more of it. What does Proverbs say? What does God's wisdom say? Chapter 13, verse 11, it says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. There's a piece of wisdom about money. Or chapter 11, verse 24, One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Or chapter 15, verse 16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. You see, we need God's wisdom, not just our culture's wisdom. Or maybe it's as subtle as an attitude that we've taken on. I was talking to a guy in our church the other day who's a brand new dad, just had his first child with his wife. And he was amazed that everyone he speaks to the first thing they say if, they, if their parents themselves is, oh, just wait, just wait a few months, it's going to get bad. And he was feeling really discouraged about that. We need God's wisdom, don't we? Listen to what Proverbs says, chapter 17, verse 6, children's children are a crown to the aged and parents are the pride of their children. Or Proverbs 23, 24, the father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. Wisdom begins as we fear the Lord. And it's a path that we continue on, discerning, putting into practice what God tells us and shaping our minds and our actions so that we might actually achieve that righteous life that God wants for us.
Second question, what invitation does wisdom make to us? What invitation does it make to us? This is where we come to the second chapter that we read, Proverbs chapter 9, where wisdom is described as like a woman setting up a house, setting out rich delicacies, beautiful things. Chapter 9 verse 1, wisdom has built her house. She's set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine and she has also set her table. So seven pillars, that's a nice house. That's a fancy house. And the food that she's laying out, meat and wine, is really luxurious food. It's like a Michelin-style meal. What this tells us is if you... You might be as poor as they come in this world, but if you have God's wisdom, you are wealthier than you could imagine. And you are enjoying glories that are just amazing. God's wisdom is described elsewhere as being better than gold, better than the most precious things in this world. Verse 3, she has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Our God is a communicating God. He's not someone who locks knowledge and wisdom away somewhere deep inside a mountain or with some guru that you have to say the secret words with. God puts his wisdom up high and its voice calls out into the streets of this world so that people might hear. And do you see who the call goes out to? It's actually pretty offensive if you understand this. It says it goes out to the simple, people with no sense. It's like the Bible's way of saying, send this message out to the stuff-ups, which at the end of the day is us. That's who we are. That's, in the end, how the only way we can receive the gospel when we come to God with empty hands, when we come spiritually, morally bankrupt and say, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to give. I just need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need Christ. And so we receive Christ as a gift. We receive God's grace. And we receive God's wisdom in the same way. I wonder if more Christians would experience more transformation if we reminded ourselves of that more often. You know, we often do it at church. We've done it uh, tonight. We will do it tonight. Prayer confession. But do we cultivate that attitude throughout our week of coming to God, saying, I am simple, I am inexperienced, I need what you have to give. But on the flip side, when we do that, when we come to God like that, do you know that experience of having been at church, having been in a connect group, having read your Bible, having um, just been with other Christians, and you come away, you feel like, I'm full. I've had a meal. I feel like I've had a meal with matching wine. I feel satisfied. That is the experience of 
knowing and receiving the wisdom that God has to give. And wisdom is calling out to you tonight and it's saying, you need me and I'm offering this house which is set up, come and have the meal, come and receive wisdom from God. Keep learning, keep hearing, keep listening, keep understanding, keep growing and you'll be rewarded. Did you see the incentive there in verse 12? If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. That's the two options. You can be one who comes to God humbly and says, I need that wisdom that you have to give, or you can be a mocker, someone who says, I don't need this. But there it is again in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So do you want to have a great year? You don't have to read Jordan Peterson or Brené Brown. You can if you want to. But just listen to God's wisdom. (laughs) Have the fear of the Lord and increase and grow in wisdom and knowledge. And it'll be a reward to you. A reward. The Bible has an interesting logic and it seems counterintuitive. But I love it. It says this to us. If if you think you're humble enough, you're probably not. If you think you're experienced, you're probably not. If you think you've got it all together, you're probably not. And if you think you've reached the finish line, you almost certainly haven't. But if you see yourself as simple, as inexperienced, as in need of God, as uh, in need of more of what he has to give, then you're in the perfect place to receive it. And in my experience, some of the most zealous and on-fire Christians I've met are in that state of just childlike learning from God. I shared a house a few years ago before I got married with a few people, and one of the guys was a fairly new Christian at the time. Every morning, I'd wake up, he'd be up in the kitchen before me, he'd have worship music blaring through the speakers, and he'd have theological questions, deep ones, ready to go, and I'm still waking up. But he was pumped. He just wanted to know more about God. And sometimes I was like, mate, hey, just tone it down. <laughs> it's seven in the morning. But that attitude of childlike learning and constantly asking questions and thinking, how can I know more? It was beautiful. It was an attitude that I want to have more of. Now, most of us want to be the expert in life, and often when you're at uni or in, in a job, you're rewarded for being the expert. But God says, I'm the expert, and you need to have what I have to give. So I just want to give a special word, a short word to the guys in the room, the men. I want to say we need to grow in that attitude of being humble and being able to say, I'm not there yet, and I can actually be useful to God even when I'm not there. Something about a lot of men is oftentimes you want to say, I'm not going to say anything or do anything or be involved until I've mastered it. But God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to say, I need to learn and to come with that 
attitude. And I would say some of the richest times in Christian fellowship for men or women is when we can be honest with each other and say, I, I'm not there yet, I'm struggling. And I need more wisdom. So for all of us today, men and women, wisdom calls out in a loud voice, makes herself known to us and says, admit that you need help and come and receive it from God. Last thing I want to ask is, what is the alternative to wisdom? What's the alternative to wisdom? While wisdom sets her house up on one side of the street, There's someone else called Folly setting her house up on the other side of the street. And let's see what she says. Verse 13. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point in the city, calling out to all who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. She's imitating wisdom. She sounds so similar to wisdom. But notice the next verse. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Both wisdom and folly are calling out to the simple, the inexperienced, saying, come to my house. And the question is, which door will you open? They both want us in their homes. The question is, which side of the street are you going to go down? Proverbs 9 is saying we have a choice to make. And what is folly offering here? It's maybe a quick fix or a quick pleasure that's empty, uh, some easy money with some dishonesty maybe, some easy friends who might draw you away from God and the things of uh, truth some easy gains that will just leave you feeling guilty and ashamed. And notice the meal that you end up with in her house. It's not the meat and the wine. It is the water, stolen water, in fact, and bread. That's what the word food there is. It's just bread. And folly might get you a little way in life in a worldly sense. You might get a little way along that path. You might get some success, but if it doesn't get you Jesus, then it doesn't get you wisdom. It doesn't get you God's wisdom. I have to say that as I go on in my Christian life, I can see that Proverbs rings true in people's lives. Those who spend their time getting to know God's word, growing in wisdom, you can see it in their life. And now when I read Proverbs... Different ones of them, I I read it and I think, yeah, that person, that person. When I read chapter 28, verse 2, it says this, "When, When a country is rebellious, it has many rulers, but a ruler with discernment and knowledge maintains order. I think about my friend in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He's an Anglican bishop living in the east of Congo, overseeing a hugely volatile region and there was an event a few years ago where he wanted some pastors to go to a training event but the road was very notorious, very dangerous and they didn't want to go and he said, I'll go first and then when you can see that I arrive safely 
then you can trust the same God who rescues me. And that's what happened. He went, he was safe, and they followed after him. There's a chaotic society with a leader living with discernment and wisdom and knowledge. When I read Proverbs 11:14, it says, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. I think of my friend Duncan a few years ago. He was at a bit of a crossroads in life. He had some big decisions to make, and he kept asking everyone for advice. He went to every pastor he'd ever had, every youth group leader he'd ever had, every Christian he'd ever met, it felt like. And some of us were like, you just need to make a decision. Just stop talking to people. But he had this abundance of advisors and he made a decision and his life is on track and he's serving the Lord, he's being fruitful. God honoured that decision. When I read Proverbs 15.2, it says, The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. I think about my own wife, Sarah, and I think about how she's not quick to jump to conclusions, how she's slow in how she processes things. She uh, is thoughtful and careful. She doesn't speak when she doesn't know. Unlike me, I just rush in and make judgments. And so as a result, I would seek her advice any day of the week. And most of all, when I read Proverbs, I think about Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who lived with tact, who lived with discernment, who never put a foot wrong in his dealings with people, who had wise words at every moment that cut through, that cut to people's hearts. And he took the ultimate step of thwarting the world's wisdom when in obedience to his father he took up the cross, which in the eyes of the world is just foolish but it's called the wisdom of God, the ultimate display of God's wisdom. So in 2023, will you go and eat at the house of wisdom? Will you go to God and hear from him? You've already begun down that path if you've trusted, if you've feared the Lord. So continue down the path. Go deeper with him. Get more. So that by the end of this year, you might say, I'm a different person than what I started. I'm more wise because of the grace of God, because of what I've received from him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your wisdom. Father, we thank you that you're so generous to give us what we don't have that you don't just save us and leave us in a place of foolishness, but you call us along the path with you to greater and deeper wisdom, deeper knowledge, deeper insight, so that our lives might show that you have changed us and transformed us. Father, please give us wisdom for all the areas of life this year, for our homes, for our work, for our family, for our friendships, for our study. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that we would be changed and that we would show Jesus, the one who is ultimately wise in the way that we live and think and speak. And we ask this in his name. Amen.